Hello, and welcome to this Unheard Short. I'm Charlie Pickles. I am joined by Henry Olson, our US flyover editor. Hello, Henry. Hello, Charlie. And Peter Franklin. Hi, Charlie. Which everybody will know from our regular shorts. Uh, So today we are unpacking, not an unpacked by Peter, but an article by Henry. We thought we would take the opportunity while he is over with us for a few days. Um, And this article is one that was uh, headlined, The West is One Crash from Chaos, which Henry sounds rather terrifying. What are you arguing in this? I'm arguing you should be terrified. Um, my, my argument is that uh, political change tends to follow dramatic disruption. And we've seen for the last hundred years that economic disruption can create massive regime change. And the United States and most of the developed world bought its way out of regime change following the financial crash of 2008 by borrowing. And now you have most developed countries in the world at unbelievably high levels of debt to GDP. And if we were to have another financial crash or another great recession, as we call it in the United States, there's not the financial leeway to borrow and spend your way out of the crisis. People will undergo severe, long, prolonged depression and uh, dislocation. And that's when they tend to overthrow regimes. Uh, And whether that regime change is pro-democratic or a new form of uh, democratic capitalism that moves away from the neoliberal model uh, as it was practiced starting in the 1990s uh, to something else. The fact is we're one crash away from regime change throughout the West. Okay, and just to um, give our listeners a bit of an idea of um, just how serious uh, the situation is, the OECD, uh, Henry, you note in your article, have said that 28 of the 32 member countries uh, on which it has data has actually got an increased debt uh, to GDP ratio um, now uh, compared to 2007. So we are in a worse situation, you know, probably quite obviously, given the way that uh, most nations coped with the crash, which is that they borrowed an awful lot of money uh, and yep. spent an awful lot of money. But but effectively, Henry, what you're saying is, you know, the, the kind of levers, if you like, that were open to countries uh, when uh, the 2008 crash happened... Um, are no longer available. So, you know, in terms of things like devaluing currency and various other options, mm-hmm. Henry, they can no longer do that. That's right. I mean, Great Britain doubled its uh, debt-to-GDP ratio, avoiding a Great Depression following the financial crash. America doubled its uh, ratio from like 39% to 78% and continues to spend like a drunken sailor uh, to, because they are under the impression that uh, nobody can experience any pain. And what it means is if it happens again, uh, and we know that serious depressions or recessions tend to happen every 20 or 30 years, uh, then what's going to happen is there's no leeway anymore. And they've they've spent the credit card, and it's going to max out, and you just won't find private markets uh, being able or being willing to loan that sort of money at anything that's affordable. And that means austerity, and that means political difficulty. And I want to come back to um, politically what we might see in a moment and, and Peter bring you in. But just before I do that, Henry, you do mention there is one source uh, from which there could be ready cash. China is sitting on $3 trillion in currency hard reserves. They've been saving for a rainy day. 
And uh, assuming that a Western crash does not also crash their economy, uh, they would have the cash reserves that would be able to go to uh, currently Western governments and uh, offer them a way out, uh, which is going to in Italy and saying, uh, how about uh, you, know, you uh, take $100 billion in low-interest loans from us, and uh, the strings on the backside will be too difficult, or uh, the straits will be too difficult for them to worry about the strings on the backside when the alternative is collapse or uh, becoming a uh, client state or financially indebted to another nation, uh, the politicians will almost certainly take the easy way out. And that bodes very ill for the West. And Peter, just coming back to this question of politics, I mean, one of the things that um, Henry mentions in his article is that the events of 2008... uh, ended up sort of upending politics uh, in Europe and America and and the West, I suppose, um, generally. And, you know, we've seen the rise of populist figures and populist movements. But actually, one of the things that's perhaps most striking is that despite that, nothing's really changed. No, I mean, you've still got the same fundamental establishments in charge in most countries. Um, There are some exceptions to that. Italy, for instance, um, I think uh, the countries of countries like Poland, Hungary, etc., were already were always going to go the way that they have, um, and you know the, the, their growth rates have been sort of pretty healthy. And it's more an issue of you know pressures on immigration and its relationship with Brussels, etc., that have driven populist politics there. Um, However, if there's another crash and we see debt levels building up and the system again fails, um, I think we're not going to see the same degree of patience and that we're going to see some major major, um, pushes to change, to clear out establishments. I think we'll see, um, you know, this time we'll really want to see um, nationalisations of banks, for instance. Um, I think we're going to, you know, with with unhappily privatised industries like rail in Britain, I think we're going to see, um, in in the event of a crash, we're going to see those renationalised as well. Um, Certainly all the... All, all, all the sort of weakest links in the neoliberal model will fall. Now, whether the whole model falls or, or not, I don't know. Um, it depends on how bad the next recession is. Um, but it's a rotten system that only got very partially uh, reformed. The, the people responsible for the last crash, um, they're either still in very good jobs or enjoying happy retirements. I don't see that level of tolerance um, from uh, the population if there's a second disaster anytime soon. And, I mean, you're right, Peter, that sort of 
if you like, the kind of corbonomics, uh, if we can call it that, that kind of model of uh, thinking about you know, renationalising uh, certain companies. I mean, with Corbyn, particularly things like the railways and utilities and things like that, um, but also having much less tolerance for bailouts, you know, kind of much less tolerance for um, propping up the already wealthy, if you think yes. about what mo- yes. you know, mo- monetary response, monetary policy response was in the wake of the crash. But so, so in the UK, you can see that actually those sorts of policies poll very highly. You know, yes. they are very popular. Yes. Kind of seventy odd percent of people would support some of these uh, renationalisations. Henry, in the states, kind of, you know, where is the sort of mainstream feeling on where economic policy should go? Yeah, neither party has really rethought its, rethought its orthodoxies. Is that to the extent? President Trump is trying to rethink orthodoxies on trade. He's being resisted at every step of the way by his members of his own party and often by members of his own administration. And the American left uh, seems un- incapable of reacting to the situation with any degree of original thought. That uh, it's back to uh, essentially their argument is there's nothing with uh, wrong with our system that a return to 1964 or 1934 wouldn't cure, uh, and I think both of those arguments are wrong. Is that we have new problems, we need new solutions, uh, and I think Americans would be open to that if only people were able to present it to them. And I want to ask then just quickly about the sort of institutions if you like of government both uh, national and uh, supranational as it's a particular topic uh, that certainly in the UK we're all focused on but I think increasingly around the world everyone's focused on the UK uh, and what's going on here so in the event that we have another serious financial crash another recession even depression um, starting with Peter what happens to the institutions we have because if we look at the state of Greece, we look at what's going on with Italy today, um, mm. and we look at the EU's role in that, um, will the EU still have the option come another crash? Well, that all depends what happens in particular to the single currency. Um, if um, what we saw happening to Greece happens to an economy as big as Italy, that could prove fatal to the single currency. We just don't know... Um, whether the system could cope with a shock that big. Uh, We don't know whether the Italian uh, government would capitulate and, you know, accept decades of um, permanent austerity in the way that the Greek government did, or whether it would push back. Um, We can imagine uh, certainly the Italian people would push back. Yes, um, and, you know, sort of leaders like Matteo Salvini could, could, you know, in in the game of chicken with with the Eurozone authorities could um, not blink in the way that Tsipras did in in Greece and effectively say, well, do your worse, um, but you risk your entire single currency and by extension perhaps the entire European Union with it. Um, so, you know, a, 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 the, the single currency was always an accident waiting to happen. We saw its vulnerabilities last time. It will be a very interesting, um, and actually, I, <laughs> despite being of a fairly Eurosceptic persuasion, I really hope not to live through such 
su such an event because um, you know you just don't know where, whether something that chaotic that brings down an, an institution that big what the final consequence of that is and henry um i want to come on in a second uh as a kind of final thought on what it might mean for america but just you know you are a expert on on kind of populism and and sort of the sort of i guess flyover flyover country areas of yeah. europe as much as america i mean do you share peter's view on that um i think that if there's a next crash you're going to see the end of the eu as you know it because um, the EU does not practice brotherhood among its nations. Uh, and that's fundamentally what people will want. They, won't, will, they will want to be taken care of. Uh, and that's fundamentally at odds with the principles of the European Central Bank and the single currency. So they will be dispensed with uh, because people uh, facing destitution will not accept it, uh, particularly when there's not a viable lending alternative that is a tempting option. That's basically what happened with Greece. But the next crash on a wide scale, they won't be able to do that. And that means you'll see the end of the union, the end of the ECB, um, and a disparaging of supranational organizations that will be blamed for this. And in America, if we saw Trump, um, I mean, you know, probably actually, to be fair, not really as a product of the 2008 recession so much as a kind of very long tail of, of the impact of globalization um, and technological advancement and the impact that was having in areas like uh, the kind of Rust Belt communities. But but let's, for the sake of argument, say, you know, in part, uh, the rise of Trump uh, was sort of off the back of the conditions created uh, uh, by the 2008 recession. What happens if something even worse happens? Do we get, you know, Trump on steroids next? I don't uh, think you get a cabinet full of billionaires, that's for sure. Well, what you get, depending on when it happens, is, um, is an um, anti-elite opposite. Uh, if it happens on Trump's watch, what you get is the American version of Corbynomics. And if it happens on a Democrats watch if you have the restoration of the elite, which is what would happen if they won in 2020 and it happened on their watch, uh, you would get Trump on steroids. Well, and there is a great thought uh, <laughs> to end this discussion on. Thank you so much, uh, Henry and Peter. Um, Henry, you, you said you wanted us to be terrified. I feel suitably terrified Good. Uh, at the end of that conversation. Um, so thank you. Uh, thank you all for listening as well. I do want to take the opportunity to plug our new podcast uh, with Giles Fraser, which is called Confessions. It is a fantastic one-to-one uh, -one discussion between Giles and some really interesting guests from politics and the media, religion and all, all sorts, philosophy, um, about what makes them tick. And I really, really do recommend you give it a listen. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to thank our producer, uh, George uh, for doing such a remarkable job and particular on the Confessions podcast um, please do subscribe if you haven't already um, and please tune in next time mm -hmm.